What's up, guys? Welcome to the sixth episode of the Good Guy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andres Valencio. Some of the topics we'll cover today include if Joe Flacco is the solution for the Denver Broncos at quarterback, what to make of disgraced running back Kareem Hunt signing with the Cleveland Browns, and now that Kyler Murray has chosen football over baseball, is he really an option for the Cardinals with the number one overall pick in the draft? All that and more coming up. You're listening to the Good Guy Podcast. Welcome to episode number 666 of the Good Guy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andres Valencio, coming to you on Friday, February 15th, 2019. I hope that y'all had a beautiful week and have some big plans ahead of you for the weekend. Obviously, yesterday was Valentine's Day, so for those of you out there who have somebody who is your special someone, I hope that you either got to spend time with them, got to receive some kind of package or message from them, or at least got to talk to them on the most romantic of holidays. Uh, For those of you who are single, who do not have that special someone yet in your life, I hope that you use the day to either spend time with your friends, maybe meet up for a few drinks, or to treat yourself maybe to a spa day or at least a glass of wine a cold beer, and some your favorite show on Netflix. Um, looking forward ahead of us, obviously. It's a bit of a slow sports weekend, I'm not going to lie. Again, we talked about this last week. The NFL is no longer with us. Obviously, neither is college football. But I will say, the AAF showed up last weekend. I, I gave y'all a heads up about the AAF. Hey, the uniforms weren't as ugly on TV as they looked and pictures online, and the football itself, I won't lie, wasn't too bad. I was pleasantly surprised. I love the way the quarterback and the head coach are mic'd up the entire game. You can hear kind of the dialogue between them. I love that the replay official is mic'd up. You can hear the process of them trying to overturn a call. I love the no kickoffs, the no extra points. I think that the league has something here. I'll be watching again this weekend. I hope that you guys are too, although... Some of you may still be a little footballed out. Otherwise, we got Kentucky against Tennessee this weekend in college basketball. That's a pretty big game. And the NBA All-Star festivities. I mean, who doesn't love All-Star weekend with the dunk contest, the three-point contest, Team LeBron, Team Giannis. So while it may not be the most exciting weekend at first glance, we got some things to look forward to. So hopefully you can find something to enjoy as far as sports goes this weekend. And if not, you got some other plans, hey, More power to you. I wish I could say the same. But again, yesterday was Valentine's Day. And last week, me being the softy and matchmaker that I am. In fact, I'm I'm so much of a matchmaker. People have actually been calling me Hitch for years. For those of you who haven't seen Hitch, uh, it's a movie with Will Smith. uh, I believe Eva Mendez is in it. Um, And it's basically about a guy who spends his time. He made a career out of... Helping guys find true love with the right woman. And that that really speaks to me as a man. And so last week, I took the liberty of matching up some quarterbacks. Looking for teams who were needy. And were looking for the right guy to be under center. And so when I took the time to do so, I'm not one of these guys who just throws anybody with anybody, alright? I made sure to consider a lot of different factors. Because I understand that in any relationship, professional romantic, platonic. Compatibility is important. Well, earlier in the week it came out that a team had gone against my well-thought-out advice. The Denver Broncos, it was reported this week, have agreed to trade a fourth-round pick to Baltimore for former starting quarterback Joe Flacco. And all that decision does is reaffirm a position that I've held and that many others have held for really the past couple of years. John Elway, the current general manager of the Denver Broncos and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, has absolutely no idea what he is doing when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. Now, I get I get the fact that he brought in Peyton Manning and got rid of Tim Tebow. Hey, you don't get a gold star for that brilliant move. 
All right? You bring in one of the top five to ten greatest quarterbacks of all time for a guy who can't complete 50% of his passes. That's not exactly a controversial decision. But since Peyton Manning retired and brought Elway that Super Bowl, here's some of the guys he's landed on as his quarterbacks. Brock Osweiler, who we picked in the second round over Russell Wilson, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league. Nick Foles, a Super Bowl MVP. And even Kirk Cousins, who for all his quote-unquote failures, has been a pretty damn solid quarterback in the NFL. A hell of a lot better than Brock Osweiler or anybody else he's tried to bring in. How about Paxton Lynch? who he picked in the first round of the NFL draft over guys like Dak Prescott. Elway traded up to get Osweiler, or to get, I'm sorry, to get Paxton Lynch. And then finally, after Paxton Lynch got cut, by the way, he hasn't even been picked up by another team, which goes to tell you what other teams think of his game. Case Keenum was brought in as a free agent on an $18 million a year contract. That didn't work out so well either. So now he brings in Joe Flacco. And this seems like the solution, right? No. Don't kid yourself. This trade is an embarrassment. Now look, I get it. Case Keenum was Denver's quarterback last season. And he was a disappointment. For the money they paid him, 6-10 and 10 ain't going to get it done. So I don't believe that the right decision would be to go into next season with him as the only viable option at quarterback. I addressed this last week, which is why I suggested the Broncos take a young quarterback at number 10 in the draft. Now, I landed on Missouri quarterback Drew Locke, who Elway has been linked to as a guy he favors. But whether it's Locke or Oklahoma's Kyler Murray, Duke's Daniel Jones, Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins, if he's there. Any of those young guys will be fine by me at number 10. Because you bring them in, and you allow them to sit and learn behind Keenum for 6, 8, 10 games, before you hand them the keys to the franchise. So, technically, yes, Case Keenum would still be your opening day starter, but you are planning for the future and getting that next franchise quarterback in the building. So even though you still have Keenum, you're putting in work for the long term. And I think that's a hell of a lot better than doing nothing. But this trade? For Joe Flacco? Oh, this is worse than doing nothing. The Broncos would be better off doing absolutely nothing. And riding into the season with Case Keenum as your starter and Kevin Hogan as the backup. Now look. I've heard the pro-Joe Flacco arguments. Andres, he's a Super Bowl MVP. 10-5 and in the playoffs. Big arm. Cannon in those Rocky Mountain in that high altitude. He's beating Tom Brady in Foxborough in the playoffs. Guys, we know. This is old news. It's time to face reality. And the reality is this. Joe Flacco isn't any good anymore. And I'll let you in on a secret. He hasn't been for quite a few years. You keep bringing up his credentials and how he performs in the playoffs. Well, guess what? That's great. Except you have to still actually make the playoffs for any of that to matter. Since Flacco won his lone Super Bowl in 2012, as a starter, he's made the playoff once. And he hasn't started a playoff game since 2014. The last time Joe Flacco started a playoff game, Tony Romo was the NFL leader in QBR, and Peyton Manning was still quarterbacking Denver. But come on, Andres. He's better than Case Keenum, at least. Well, is he, though? 
Because in the last two seasons, let me give you some numbers on Joe Flacco. He's 13-12 and 12 as a starter. That's one game over 500 for those of you keeping track. He's thrown 30 touchdowns to 19 picks. And he has a passer rating in the low 80s. Here's Case Keenum's last two seasons, who he's supplanting as starter. He's 17-13 and 13, with 40 touchdowns to 22 picks and a passer rating in the high 80s. The numbers in the last couple of seasons tell you that Case Keenum has been a better quarterback. But even if you want to argue that Flacco is slightly better, doesn't that kind of make my point for me? You're essentially bringing in a taller version of the same player. If you're in a relationship and the person you're dating is flaky and lazy and unfaithful and you make the decision that you deserve better and you want to upgrade, the answer isn't to date someone else who's essentially just as flaky, lazy, and unfaithful, but they're taller. You're going to have all the same problems. As far as I'm concerned, if Denver's plan was to have a mediocre veteran quarterback under center for 2019, why not just stick with Case Keenum? Instead, you've traded a draft pick, and a fourth-round pick is not exactly a seventh-round throwaway. You've traded that for a more expensive player who isn't any kind of significant upgrade. Oh, and by the way, the guy you're cutting... So that he can be your starter, you're still on the hook to pay him $10 million because of the contract you gave him last year. The only reasons I can come up for this move are these. You either make this trade because you believe Flacco can save your job, but they just got a first-year head coach and John Elway is in known danger of being fired, or you genuinely believe that in today's NFL, you can win big with Joe Flacco. And if you believe that, you're in over your head. Now I get Vic Fangio had him in Baltimore. There's familiarity. This is not the same guy as when Vic Fangio was there. Flacco has been a mediocre quarterback since getting his big extension after the Super Bowl. But Andres, last week you suggested Miami signs him. Yes, I did. As a stopgap at a reasonable price. After Baltimore cut him, which they were always going to do because Lamar Jackson is entrenched as their starter. I never dreamed any team, especially in Denver's situation, would be desperate enough to trade draft capital for Joe Flacco. Think about this. The Broncos will have the second highest percentage of their cap space dedicated to the quarterback position in the NFL. The only team with a higher percentage are the Saints, who are employing Drew Brees. Flacco ain't no Brees. I can tell you that. This is a personnel mistake. This is a salary cap mistake. This is a draft capital mistake. But more than anything, it's another band-aid over a broken leg. Further proof that John Elway is as far away as ever to finding the young quarterback who can lead the Broncos back to prosperity the same way he did a long time ago as a player. I should mention this for the record. The uh, 666 thing I did earlier at the beginning of the show was not some kind of pledge or allegiance to Satan. That is a reference to a sound Drake makes at the beginning of his songs, the six representing that he's from Toronto, the 416. So just wanted to clear up, I'm not some kind of Satan worshiper. I didn't want that kind of negative rumor going around that suddenly Andres has graduated from college and now he loves the devil. But anyway, we touched on Joe Flacco. Obviously, that was one of the big stories in the NFL this week. Another well-covered story was that former Oklahoma quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray announced that he was officially going to choose football over baseball. For those of you who aren't aware, Murray was drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's in last year's MLB draft, and initially it was expected that he would play a final season of football at Oklahoma 
before committing full-time to baseball. However, he won the Heisman, and many were suddenly hyping him as a potential first-round pick in this year's NFL draft, which complicated things. So after being non-committal following the conclusion of Oklahoma's season and a lot of speculation about what sport he would choose, Murray ended all that by posting on his Twitter page this week that he is fully committed going forward to being an NFL quarterback. Now, we touched on this subject a few weeks ago, and I was adamant that I felt that Murray should pursue an NFL career over baseball, due in large part, yes, I love football, but due in large part to the position he plays and the direction that the NFL is heading. First of all, when you enter the NFL and you're selected in the first round, unlike baseball, there's no riding the bus. There's no playing for the Lansing Lugnuts or the West Michigan Whitecaps or any of these minor league teams. Once you are drafted, you are in the NFL. And a lot of what I hedged my bet on with Murray was that I believed he had a better chance of being an average NFL quarterback than being a superstar baseball player. And if you look at the money that's being thrown at average NFL quarterbacks in today's game, it's ridiculous. The two highest paid quarterbacks going into the season were Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan. Both guys were former league MVPs. Here are four of the next highest paid. These guys are all in some order, three through six. Jimmy G, who started, I believe, eight games or seven games for the 49ers. Derek Carr, who has never started a playoff game. Matt Stafford, who's never won a playoff game. And Kirk Cousins, who has also never won a playoff game. And yet those four were among the six highest paid quarterbacks in 2018. Those are just guys. I think Kyler Murray has a pretty decent chance to be just a guy and make his money. Another issue I took with people pushing him to play baseball was this. In baseball, Murray, for all his stardom, would be nothing more than a well-known prospect, and he'd have to play his way into being a star after he got out of the minors. In the NFL, don't kid yourself. He's an immediate star. In fact, he'd have to play his way of being out play his way out of being a star. But Andres, he's never played an NFL game. How can he be a star? That's the beauty of the NFL. You can be a star in some cases before you ever take a snap. Make no mistake. Cam Newton, before he ever took a snap for the Panthers, was a star. Ezekiel Elliott was a star before he ever took a handoff in Dallas. Baker Mayfield was a star before he ever took the field in Cleveland. Hell, Johnny Manziel was a star before he ever stepped on an NFL field. Johnny had to play his way out of being a star. Now, Kyler's small frame... At 5'9", 200 pounds, has left some durability concerns about how he could hold up at the NFL level. But the NFL rules are protecting quarterbacks now more than ever. Can't hit them low, below the knee. Can't hit them above the neck. Can't drive them into the ground. So while his small frame is a concern, you can't hit them when they slide. They're protecting quarterbacks more than ever because they understand the value of having star quarterbacks available week in and week out. It's bad for business when A.J. McCarron is starting or Cooper Rush or any of these other guys. It's bad for business and the NFL has gone out of their way to make sure that doesn't happen. More than anything, now look, I projected that Kyler would pick football or that he should pick football, but I was adamant at that time that what he should do above all else is pick what's in his heart and pick what makes him happy. It seems like he has chosen to do what he loves. So to me, I'm happy for him because I think that's what's most important. But now that he's come out, the question has been raised. Just how high can Kyler Murray actually be picked in the draft? Now, as people tend to do in sports, people have overreacted to a soundbite from earlier in the 2018 college football season where former former Texas Tech head coach and current Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury 
says he would take Kyler Murray number one overall if he could. Now, Kingsbury is the head coach of the Cardinals who have the number one overall pick, and many have taken that soundbite as an indicator that the Cardinals will trade last year's top 10 pick Josh Rosen and draft Kyler Murray number one overall. Now, let me say, for starters, I like Kyler Murray as a prospect, and I think he will and should be a first-round pick. He's got rare speed, athleticism. I mean, only two guys, nobody, I'm sorry, has ever been picked in the first round of two drafts. He will be the first. His athleticism speaks for itself. His football instincts and his vision, outstanding. He's got very good arm talent. All those things make him a really intriguing player coming into the draft. With that being said, the Cardinals would be monumentally stupid to draft Kyler Murray with a number one overall pick. First of all, for as much as I like Kyler, if I'm Arizona, especially if I'm Kingsbury, I'm not drafting a five foot nine quarterback with 17 college starts under his belt. Now, Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart, has come out and said, any dinosaurs who are concerned about 5'9 are losers. I don't think that's very helpful to his client. Now, look, I listened to Eric Burkhart. He said this on a podcast with Johnny Menzel that, full disclosure, I do listen to weekly. I don't read too much into that. I think he's sticking up for his client, but it's not a good look. People want to compare Murray to Baker, Baker Mayfield, because they went to the same college. Come on, guys. He's three inches shorter than Baker, and he's not a good, as good a passer. Now, Kyler is a better athlete by far. But Baker Mayfield has rare accuracy and, again, is three inches taller and thicker. Some want to compare him to Russell Wilson. Again, Russell Wilson is probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he's thicker and taller. And he throws probably a better deep ball. If you're picking number one overall, you better be grabbing close to a sure thing. And... Aside from Eric Burkhart, his own agent, I don't think anyone could honestly say that for all Kyler Murray's abilities, that he's a sure thing. Second of all, to me, he's not even the best quarterback in this class. No, that would be Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State, who's a bigger, stronger pocket passer. And from what I've seen, I watched a lot of both of them this year, he's just a more natural thrower of the football. When you can't run like Kyler can, you're forced to develop as a passer. And Dwayne, I mean, I watched that kid play in some huge games this year, and every week he impressed me. Even when Ohio State didn't play well as a team, he seemed to play well. To me, he's the no-brainer number one guy in this draft as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Finally, if you don't remember, the Cardinals drafted a quarterback in the first round last year in Josh Rosen. You really want to bail on him already? Now, I'll be the first to say, I liked Rosen coming out of UCLA. And he was easily the worst of the five first-round quarterbacks from last year's draft. He had a rough go of it this past season. But let's provide context, and let's be fair. The team around him was a mess. 57-year-old Larry Fitzgerald was his best receiver. The offensive line was injured, beat up, a total disaster. The offensive coordinator was fired in the middle of the season and replaced by a guy who had never been an offensive coordinator. Neither one of them could figure out how to use David Johnson, the Cardinals' best offensive player. And the head coach, Steve Wilkes, if we're being honest, seemed like a guy who was in over his head. There have been plenty of guys who struggled in their first year in the NFL at quarterback, especially under the tutelage of incompetent coaching. And I'll give a really recent example. Remember Jared Goff? After his first season, under Jeff Fisher, he was 0-7 as a starter. He was a mess. People were already calling him a bust. But then, he got under the right coach and Sean McVay turns into a pro bowler. And two years later, from being called a bust, takes the Rams to the Super Bowl. Can you imagine if they bailed on him after one rough year? Now, I'm not saying that Rosen is golf, and I'm sure as hell not saying that Cliff Kingsbury is Sean McVay. I was very critical of the hire, 
But on Kingsbury's behalf, I will say he has shown an ability to coach up quarterbacks and quarterbacks of many different skill sets, whether it be Manziel, who is a scrambler first, Davis Webb, who is a statue in the pocket, Baker Mayfield, undersized guy but real accurate, Patrick Mahomes, every physical tool in the book, but a bit of, a bit reckless. Coached them all up. He was brought there to help fix Josh Rosen, Rosen, not to draft and coach Kyler Murray. Before he was, you know, he was hired way before it was even clear that Murray would be entering the draft. I still believe that Rosen can be a really good NFL quarterback. He's such a natural, gifted thrower. You get him under the right coach, you get some players around him, I think he can be a really good quarterback. So if you're the Cardinals, pick Nick Bosa, the pass rusher from Ohio State, the consensus number one player on the board. If you don't want to do that, trade back to help bring in more picks and players. Get some talent around your young quarterback. You were picking first overall for a reason. Your team sucks. Now, don't get me wrong. If I'm Miami at 13, or Washington picking at 15, or Oakland if he's available at 24, I'm taking a long, hard look at Kyler Murray as my next, fr- my next franchise quarterback. And look, I'm happy for Kyler. Not just for making me look smart and picking football like I thought he should, but for going with what was clearly in his heart. That alone makes football the right choice for him. But make no mistake, the Cardinals will be making the wrong choice if they draft him number one overall and bail on Josh Rosen after just one year. Remember Jared Goff under Jeff Fisher? And then Sean McVay. Give the kid a fair shake and see what happens. Appreciate y'all listening. Again, I hope that you guys had a decent Valentine's Day. I got a really dope package from my lady. Shout out to Morgan. Uh, hopefully you guys have somebody special in your life. Uh, she really did it up this year. Way out did me. So I got some work to do. But uh, again, hope you guys had a decent day yesterday. I know that when you're single, it can really kind of suck. So Hopefully y'all had a good one and, and, and made the best of it. And uh, next year, if you didn't have somebody great, I have a feeling that somebody's on their way and they'll uh, be around for you next year. But I want to touch on this. Look, over the course of our lives, we all deal with some kind of regret. We miss out on an opportunity. We don't realize what we have until it's gone. Everybody has made mistakes in our youth. And then we look back and we say, you know, If I could go back and do that again, I'd do some things differently. It happens to all of us. I mean, we all do it. It's part of the human experience. Everybody says, live with no regrets, man. That's such BS because we all have them at some point or another. But very rarely are we presented with an opportunity that is similar at any other point in our lives. And many of those who do get that opportunity, they always say they're going to do something with it. But then they revert to the same negative habits that cost them the first time. You think about people who have been in a relationship. Guy is lazy with his girlfriend. He doesn't give her the time. He doesn't take her on dates. He doesn't bring her flowers. He doesn't, you know, show her the attention that she needs. She leaves him and he says, man, like, I didn't realize what I had when she was here. But if she ever came back to me, things would be so different. I'd I'd put the time in. I'd, I'd, I'd give her the treatment that she deserves. And then she comes back. And maybe for a week or two, he does all that stuff that he promised that he would. But eventually, it's back to the same shit. He's blowing her off. He's not calling her when he should. He's not giving her the attention, not giving her the time, not taking her out, not making her feel special. And he loses her again. People do it at work. Man, if I'd have known when I was younger, just putting in a little extra work, I would have, I would have grinded harder and I'd be in a different position. And then they got get the opportunity to have a promotion. And they don't really want to stay late. And they don't want to put the work in. All the same things people promise themselves. If I ever got that chance, I'd do it differently. And they don't. A sign of maturity and growth is getting the second opportunity that you tell yourself you've always wanted. And actually making the changes you promised yourself that you'd make if it ever came along again. And I don't think people appreciate how hard it actually is to make those changes, to stick to that promise. And I think it's important to commend it 
when individuals actually pull it off because you don't see it that often. I say all that because I've seen that change take place in an NBA superstar this season. Oklahoma City point guard Russell Westbrook. You think about when Westbrook first came into the league in 2008. He gets paired up right away with Kevin Durant, one of the greatest scorers that we've ever seen. And the belief is that the two of them are going to take OKC to at least one, if not you know, many titles over the next few years. I mean, that's going to be a dynasty. And... You know, they didn't look too bad in 2012, their fourth season together. They go to the finals, play Miami, lose to LeBron, but you kind of felt like, okay, this is the first step. But they never got back. Fast forward to 2016. They have Golden State down in the Western Conference Finals, down 3-1, a 73-win team. And they lose their next three. And then a month and a half later, Durant leaves Westbrook. And joins Golden State. A lot of people after that blame Durant leaving on Westbrook. You think about how he played when they were together. He was hesitant to defer to Westbrook or to Durant. Even though it was pretty clear to everyone Durant was a better player. It seemed like he took shots, especially late, that he shouldn't have taken when the ball should have been in Durant's hands. And it kind of seemed like Westbrook felt the need to prove to everyone that he was just as good as Durant, just as important, that he wasn't going to be anybody's sidekick. And Durant, when he left, he never officially came out and blamed Russ as being the reason that he left OKC. But he kind of mentioned that Golden State's ball movement, fun environment, everybody kind of passing, and the system was a big part of the draw to leaving OKC and Golden Golden State. So Westbrook finally gets his own team. He finally gets to show everybody his worth and that he can be the number one guy and that he doesn't have to be anybody's second fiddle. He responds with a furious 2016-2017 season. He single-handedly carries the Thunder to the playoffs, wins league MVP, and becomes the first guy in the modern NBA to average a triple-double in a season. But... They're knocked out in the first round of the playoffs after being a game away from the finals the year before. So, they make a trade for Pacers star forward Paul George. Now, George had demanded a trade from Indiana, and he had made it pretty clear. Wherever I'm traded, I'm going to be a one-year rental because I'm going to go home and I'm going to play for the Lakers. So, they play together for the one season. Westbrook averages a triple-double again, an outstanding feat. But even with Paul George and locker room cancer Carmelo Anthony, the Thunder get knocked out in the first round again. But when the season ended, Westbrook did things differently. He courted, even throughout the season, he courted Paul George. He deferred to him in certain moments. He let him know, hey man, I need you. You're important. I can't win big here without you. You can be a big part of this if you stay. Somehow, Russell Westbrook convinced Paul George, who everyone had assumed was leaving, going home to L.A. He convinced him to say no to his hometown and LeBron James and yes to Russell Westbrook and Oklahoma City. Fast forward to this year, the Thunder are third in the West. And Paul George, he's not only in the race for Defensive Player of the Year, as I awarded him in my midseason awards, at this point he's in the race for MVP. Along with Giannis, of course, and James Harden. Now, Westbrook hasn't exactly fallen off. He's still averaging a triple-double. But he has started to defer to George, particularly in late-game situations. Westbrook's shot has been off this year, and he hasn't Try to force it. Say, hey man, you got the high hand. You're our primary scorer. The team is at their best when you are taking these late shots. He's become a distributor. Less of a bad shot taker. And it's clear his focus is less on individual achievements and more on what allows the team to play winning basketball. He's put his ego aside 
and has been willing to share his team. That's not an easy thing to do, especially when you've been the guy in a city on a team. You think about when D. Wade and LeBron teamed up. That first season, the two of them were kind of, I wouldn't say butting heads, but playing a little bit of tug of war over whose team it was. And it took Dwayne Wade sitting back and saying, I got to put my ego aside. I know this has been my team. But the team's better if LeBron's our best player. If we want to go to the places we want to go, I have to take a step back and do what's best for the team. Not easy. And Westbrook has done the same thing. Now, Paul George has taken his game to another level, but make no mistake, Westbrook had to allow that to happen. I'm not here to argue. Paul George has been the best player in Oklahoma City this year. Whether it's MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, or even both, he's had an outstanding season. And I look, I've been long, I've long been critical of Paul George. I mean, they used to have these Gatorade commercials where he hits this big buzzer beating three in the playoffs, which he's never done. He annoyed me. I felt like he was a guy who was given a lot of hype and not achieved a lot. But I've got to give credit where it's due. He has been unbelievable on both ends of the floor this year and has played his way into being an MVP candidate. But even so, in my opinion, his growth has not been the most impressive growth of a player on the Oklahoma City Thunder. That goes to Westbrook, who's done something that, whether we want to admit it or not, At one time or another, we have all hoped to do. Hoped for a second chance, another chance, to get things right. And unlike most people who get that opportunity, Westbrook has actually done something with it. Hard to have a transition for this. Uh, This next subject is controversial to say the least. Look, normally on this podcast, and moving forward, I prefer to keep things light, talk about issues and players and things that happen on the field, on the court, you know, in free agency, things like that. But this is a story that a lot of people have asked me about, my feelings on it, what I think and such. And so while I was hesitant to even discuss it on today's episode, I have decided to address it. And I'm going to try to do so in a way that I believe is honest, I believe is straightforward, and I hope that whether you agree or disagree, you can at least try to understand where I'm coming from. As I'm, uh, I'm sure many of you are aware, former Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt was signed earlier in the week by the Cleveland Browns. Now, in the first couple seasons, Hunt was a star for Kansas City. He was drafted in 2017, and as a rookie, he led the NFL in rushing. But in the middle of his second season, he was cut by Kansas City after a surveillance video emerged on TMZ of him knocking over a woman and then kicking her in a hotel lobby. It was later reported that the Chiefs had confronted Hunt about this prior to the season and that he had lied to them about what had taken place. And so once it was discovered that he had been dishonest, he was immediately released by Kansas City. Since that time, Hunt has publicly apologized He's also been placed on the commissioner's exempt list, which essentially makes him ineligible for any games. And he's voluntarily undergone counseling for anger management and alcohol issues. Cleveland's GM, John Dorsey, who signed Hunt this week, actually drafted Hunt back when he was in Kansas City and stated that Hunt is on a one-year low-money contract, at least by NFL standards, and that he would not have signed Kareem if he didn't believe he was truly more remorseful for his decision. So naturally, with a lot to consider here, the question has come, you know, in the eyes of many people, does Kareem Hunt deserve a second chance to play in the NFL? Now again, I've tried to keep my thoughts straightforward on this from the beginning, and so this is what I feel. First off, it goes without saying, what Kareem Hunt did was disgraceful. He deserves all of the public criticism he's gotten, all the shame he's gotten, all the judgment and questioning of his character is well-deserved. 
I think that the Chiefs were right to cut him when they did. He lied. And to me, I understand that Cleveland assigned him. He should be suspended for 8 to 11 games to start this year on top of the five games he missed after being released last year. So obviously 13 games minimum, 16 in total if he's suspended to start the year, which he will be on some level. I also think he should be required to continue to attend mandatory counseling for his anger and his alcohol issues. He should be required to speak out against violence against women and take courses that educate him on the seriousness of this issue. He needs to show genuine remorse for the decision he made when he put his hands on that woman. And moving forward, in his case especially, there needs to be a zero-tolerance policy from the league should anything take place like this from him again. You do anything remotely like this again, you will never play in the NFL again. That needs to be made clear to him by the league. Again, suspension, counseling, outreach against this issue, remorse, zero tolerance moving forward. Should those things take place, with the condition that he never repeats this kind of behavior. I am okay with Kareem Hunt receiving a second chance to play in the NFL. Let me make myself very clear. That is not to say I'm excusing violence against women. I'm not. There is no circumstance whatsoever where that type of behavior or action is acceptable. There's no excuse. He deserves to be punished for what he did. But he also needs to be helped and educated. And again, I've tried to make it clear. I want those things to happen and continue moving forward if he's to keep playing on the NFL level. And even if he doesn't, I would hope he'd still want to do those things. But I'm uncomfortable with the notion that he should be banned from employment in his chosen profession for life, especially in a scenario where, legally speaking, he was never even charged. Now, I understand there's a video, and again, he is wrong for what he did, and he's guilty. But there's no other profession where a lifetime ban comes Without charges, at least that I can imagine. And if that's the case moving forward, if you're going to ban every NFL player who is charged with assault, this is not domestic violence. People have used that term. He was not in some kind of relationship with this woman. I don't think he even barely, I think he barely knew the woman. He met her at a bar. Not that that makes it okay. It's assault and not domestic violence. Let's clear that up. But if every NFL player who commits assault or puts his hands on a woman moving forward is banned for life, then I believe FS1 analyst Shannon Sharp said it best when he said that needs to be the standard and the case in every line of employment, especially those that are considered role model model positions. Politicians, actors, musicians, teachers, police officers, doctors, firemen, lawyers, coaches, and many others. If there is ever any indication that you put your hands on a woman, any proof, no more employment for you forever. Let's not act like NFL players should be held to a different standard than any of the professions I just named. Those are all role models. Those are all supposed to be people who are responsible. Those are people that kids look up to. And the excuse that, well, you know, teachers and police officers and firemen and lawyers, those aren't all public figures. Anonymity should never be an excuse or a benefit when committing despicable behavior. If we're holding Kareem Hunt to a higher standard on the basis that he's well known, that's not justice. Perhaps I'm naive. But I believe that people, especially young people, can do bad things, can make terrible choices and mistakes. 
and genuinely be ashamed and sorry. Try to learn from their mistakes and want to change and come back as better people. I know that personally, I would hate to be defined by the worst moment of my early 20s. Now, it was nothing like this or remotely as bad or even related. But it was bad nonetheless. I was embarrassed. I was in a dark place. I felt horrible. I was ashamed. But I learned from it. I grew from from it. And I feel genuinely that I'm a better person than I was before it happened. I know many people personally who have been arrested, who have cheated on their significant other, who have lied, who have been in fights, who have used drugs, who have stolen things, done stupid things at a young age. Some of them have been punished legally, some of them only in their personal lives, but I've seen them grow and learn from their choices as well. Now, this is not to say that every person who makes mistakes, that they're all created equal, that every mistake is even. Certainly, there are certain things that I believe, one-time offense, you don't get a second chance. But I think Kareem Hunt deserves the opportunity to prove that he is not the person we see in that horrible video. I felt the same about Ray Rice and Joe Mixon, in part because they showed genuine remorse. And everything I've seen from Kareem, and you want to question his... If he's being genuine, fine. But everything I've seen suggests to me he is remorseful. There's also a racial component to this that I feel would be irresponsible to ignore. Now, it's been reported that the woman that Kareem attacked in this video called him a racial slur multiple times prior to the assault. I don't need to, if you can't figure out what the word is, it starts with an N. We all know what it is. It's a horrible word. Now, again, let me be clear. That does not make it okay, her saying that, for Hunt or any man to put his hands on a woman. It is never okay, regardless of what is said or done. As a man, it's important that we hold each other accountable and make that very clear to each other. But as someone who is white... It also needs to be made clear, it is never okay in any circumstance to use that word. Especially in a derogatory term toward a person of African American descent. And we need to hold each other accountable for that as well. So while I feel for the young woman in the video, and make no mistake, she is the victim here. I'm not going to excuse her words or brush them under the rug. Because if a white man had used those words and been knocked over and kicked by Kareem Hunt, I'd probably be praising Kareem Hunt. There's never any excuse for a person to use those words, just like there's never any excuse for a man to hit a woman. But it was not a man that Kareem hit, it was a woman, and so he should have walked away. But he didn't, and again, he was wrong. But I am not of the belief that a 23-year-old man who has overcome an upbringing most of us couldn't even fathom should never again be allowed to chase his dreams. Punished for what he did? Absolutely. Banned for life? No. At least not yet. Cremon's father has been arrested at least 35 times, mostly for drug-related offenses. He has a cousin currently serving 23 years for voluntary manslaughter and another serving 12 for gun and drug-related offenses. His uncle is also serving a 10-year sentence for drug trafficking, and his mother, stepfather, and older brother have all also spent time in jail, mostly for drug-related offenses. Now, none of this is to make excuses for Kareem Hunt's actions, but just to provide perspective for those of us who are born into highly functioning families with real role models and real stability, who are real eager and quick to point the finger and shame a person who's grown up in environments most of us could never make it out of. So I hope that Kareem Hunt takes the second chance and genuinely learns from it. I hope that he gets the help he needs personally. And I hope he learns lessons from the punishments that are handed down to him.
I hope that he serves as a role model to people who've made terrible mistakes and shows them you can come back as a better person and have lessons to share with others who've also made mistakes. I hope that he can be a role model for the young people in his family where one is so clearly needed. I hope that he takes the chance to speak out uh, on violence against women in the way that Ray Rice has and the way that I hoped Joe Mixon would. We can all have our opinion, agree or disagree about whether Kareem Hunt deserves a second chance to play in the NFL. But the reality is it's a waste of time. He's already been given that opportunity. Since that's the case, we should all be united in the hope that whether he ever again succeeds on the field, that we want to see him learn and grow and be better off the field and use his mistake and platform to help others do the same. I know that that last segment was kind of heavy, a little bit controversial. We're going to try to lighten things up for the final topic of today's show. We're actually going to introduce a new segment. This segment is called 3 for 3. So how it works is I'm going to pick three topics that I noticed throughout the week and thought were kind of noteworthy, just not necessarily worthy of their own 8 to 10 minute rant or segment. I'll discuss each of the three topics for three minutes. And once the timer goes off at the end of three minutes, we're right on to the next one. Seems simple enough. We're going to try it for the first time this week. And we're going to get started in three, two, one. So the first topic that came to mind when I came up for this is I've noticed that baseball has a serious problem on its hands. Now, the season is a little over a month from starting, and yet two of the biggest stars in baseball, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, have yet to be signed. Now, even if you're just a casual baseball fan, you should definitely know who Bryce Harper is, and you probably should know who Manny Machado is, two of the best young players in the league. They're unsigned along with many other talented veterans. And a lot of this has to do with the new movement that teams in the MLB are going with. Going cheap with this tanking model that, granted, eventually built championship teams in Houston and with the Chicago Cubs. But other players, veteran players, are taking notice. And former Tigers legend and Houston Astros pitcher Justin Verlander spoke on this subject, tweeting out, 100 or so free agents left unsigned. System is broken. They blame rebuilding, but that's BS. You're telling me you couldn't sign Bryce or Manny for 10 years and go from there? Seems like a good place to start a rebuild to me. 26 to 36 years old is a great performance window too. Don't kid yourself, baseball fans. This is bad for business. Part of the reason the the NBA and the NFL have left the MLB in the dust is that they have embraced the opportunity the offseason can provide. Player mobility and drama in the offseason is great for business. Think about the NFL. It doesn't stop after the Super Bowl. There's the combine, free agency, the NFL draft. Take the NBA, for example. Can you imagine if KD and Anthony Davis were free agents and a month before the season, no one had signed them? It'd be a total disaster. People would be going insane. But this is what baseball is about. The MLB has always done its best to shut down personalities, think Yasiel Puig, shut down storylines and drama. And the reality is, those are things that people find interesting, especially in sports where seasons run long. Steve Kerr touched on this about the NBA. He said, we're part of a soap opera, and that's part of what sells the NBA in an 82-game regular season. So here's some advice to the majors. Don't shut down interesting in your sport. Now, look, I'll be honest. I don't know what the solution is. I just know that baseball needs to get this situation fixed fast. Unwritten rules and unsigned stars, guess what, guys? They don't sell. You know what sells? Player mobility. Let's get Bryce Harper and Manny signed. Personality. Let's not spaz out when guys stare down home runs. Interesting. It sells. You can either do that, get with the times, or get lapped by the NFL and NBA. Oh, and that is our timer. Moving on to our next subject. The Lakers. 
failed attempt to trade for AD has had a disastrous effect on both the Pelicans and the squad out west in LA. The Lakers are heading into the All-Star break this weekend as an under 500 team. They're in 10th place in the West and coming off a blowout loss to the 76ers on Sunday, followed up by a loss to the crappy Atlanta Hawks. They're currently three games out of the playoffs and four games out of the seventh seed, which trust me they'll want unless they want to get swept in the first round by Golden State. Additionally, it's been speculated that Luke Walton is already lined up to be the scapegoat. Magic Johnson, LaRop Lincoln didn't hire him. LeBron's not a fan. So if the season's a failure, Luke's likely going to be on the chopping block. Although Lakers owner Jeannie Buzz has given him the vote of confidence that he will finish the season. What a ringing endorsement. Let's face facts. 57 games into the season, the Lakers are a losing team. Out of the playoffs with an alienated roster, a coach on the hot seat, and then seemingly unmotivated LeBron, have you seen the way he plays defense? Going into the All-Star break. You know what you call that? A disaster. Oh, and rumor has it that they're interested in bringing in Ty Lue next season. That's who LeBron wants. And Carmelo Anthony possibly this season. Those sound like real solutions to your problems. The Pelicans, meanwhile are being forced by the league to play Anthony Davis because the league has told them if they don't, they'll be fined. This despite the fact that Davis has made it clear he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans. The team has no choice but to risk their incredibly valuable trade asset due to injury, all to appease the league. Playing Davis, by the way, also makes it harder for the Pelicans to tank, which is what most of the league is doing, and improve their draft position. Sure enough, last night, Anthony Davis hurt his shoulder against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, thankfully, the injury wasn't serious, but nonetheless shows the the pickle that they're stuck in. In fact, after last night's win, Pelicans coach Alvin Gentry called the whole situation a dumpster fire because they have to play their star who doesn't want to be there and doing so hurting their draft position. And the whole thing, by the way, is a major distraction to the guys who want to stay in New Orleans and play. So what do we have? A disaster on one side, a dumpster fire on the other. Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, amazingly, have somehow found a way to ruin two teams' seasons with one trade request. Can't wait to see what these two have in store the second half of the season. That is our timer. Moving on to our final segment. The NBA All-Star Game is this weekend. Obviously taking place in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, I've got to admit, I have a soft spot for NBA All-Star Weekend. Growing up, the NBA All-Star Game has always been my favorite of the major major league you know, All-Star Games. You think about the Pro Bowl in the NFL is a total disaster and joke. Nobody takes it seriously. The Major League Baseball... All-Star Game. They did that stupid thing a few years ago where they made home field dependent on the league that won. How stupid is that? And I'll be honest, I don't watch the NHL or MLS. So for me, one of my favorite events of the year. Now the dunk contest is usually a hit or miss, but the celebrity game is usually a good time. The three-point contest is pretty compelling, and the game itself is usually at least semi-competitive, especially in the fourth quarter. The guy, the teams tend to get it going. I want to commend the NBA for televising the player draft for the game. For those of you who don't know, the NBA does a draft system where they select two captains to draft a team among the All-Stars who are available. They televised it for the first time this year, and look, it was entertaining and a lot of fun to watch Giannis and LeBron kind of banter, go back and forth. That's great for the league, and I hope they continue to do that moving forward. So for those of you who have better things to do this weekend or would rather watch the AAF, I know that I'm kind of in that boat, I'm going to save you the trouble of watching these events and watching the game by telling you who's going to win each and every one. So for the Rising Star Challenge, give me Team USA over Team World. Team USA has three guys who I'm high on. De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. I think that Fox especially and that kind of 
exhibition matchup with his elite athleticism, he's bound to get some easy buckets. I don't think that Luka Doncic and Ben Simmons on the world side will make it easy along with DeAndre Ayton, but give me Team USA for that game. The slam dunk contest. This is a no-brainer who's going to win this. Miles Bridges, Michigan State Spartan. If you haven't seen this kid, look him up on Twitter and some of the dunks he's thrown down. Look him up on YouTube. The kid is a high flyer. An elite athlete. He's a beast. No one in this competition is going to come close. Dennis Smith Jr. is a good athlete. He'll probably come in second. But Miles Bridges is going to take this home, especially in Charlotte. It's no contest. Three-point contest. Give me Curry. No, not Steph. Seth Curry. I'm picking the little brother in an upset. I think he shows out and does it big in a city where his father made his mark as an NBA player. Give me Seth in the... Three-point contest, skills challenge. Give me Luka Doncic. If you haven't seen this kid play, he's got the skills. He's an amazing passer, amazing ball handler. He's got the whole skill set, not afraid of the big stage. Give me Luka. He's going to show out. And finally, the all-star game, Team LeBron, Team Giannis. Give me Team LeBron. His team is just too loaded. I know that's the alarm. I'm going to go past it. You look at LeBron's roster. He's got Harden. He's got Durant, Kyrie, Kawhi, AD, if he can play. I think his team's just too loaded. And look for D. Wade to show up big off the bench in his final All-Star game, although I think Dirk will do some nice things as well. So there you have it, your results for the All-Star game this weekend. Don't have to watch anymore if you don't feel like it. That's our first 3 for 3 segment. Don't think it went too bad. Let me know what you think, if I should keep doing it in the future or if I should scrap it. I'm always open to suggestions. We're going to wrap things up on today's episode. Hope that you guys enjoyed listening as always. Hope that you guys have a great weekend. Stay warm, especially if you're up here in the Midwest. It is still freezing. Always appreciate you guys listening. Whether it's one segment, the whole show, or 30 seconds, it means a lot to me. With that being said, I'm going to wrap things up. Again, hope you enjoy yourself. Watch the AAF this weekend. Big things coming in week two. And once again, thank you for listening to the Good Guy Podcast.